Welcome to the Short Club Podcast. I'm Nick Rafferty and I'm here with Matt Davis and Yang Zheng. We're jumping back into TPRM and asking what practical steps can improve your TPRM programme. So we've got a TPRM programme established. What sort of practical steps would you uh, recommend to improve a programme? So I think the first one is really understanding what's going well and what's not. So having a look at what's working in your programme. This is kind of doing a self-assessment and going, okay, where do we think we're strong? Where do we think we're not strong? You may be able to do that yourself. It's often quite hard to mark your own homework. So you may want to use an external party to do this, just to come in and give a benchmark and some practical bits of where you could make some improvements. The other thing is really understanding what your target state is. If you as an organization depend a lot on vendors and you have a vendor first strategy and you're doing a lot of outsourcing, being very good and maturity is obviously critical to how you work. If you're a larger organization where you're not as dependent, and again, in, in this day and age, who is that? I don't know, but you may not be as dependent on suppliers for critical processes. Your target state may be less, or you maybe you're just starting out. But ultimately, it's like, where do we want to be? Do I want to be a best in class? If I do, I need to think about a practical roadmap to do that. And that isn't do everything in a year and being realistic. Often, this is where people struggle. It's you're probably looking at two to three year roadmaps to build through the phases of we've got a mature program, we're looking to enrich data, and then we're looking to actively monitor it. But you can't go from we're not really doing anything to actively monitoring vendors because <laughs> you're going to end up stuck. So it's about really building that roadmap to deliver what you're going to do. So do you see that as an inefficiency that people introduce into these programs then by not doing that at the start? It's certainly something I've seen in the past where there'll be a very, as you say, probably a shorter term view of we need to get this program established up and running and embedded into the organisation. But then it's not really thought through to what is the potential endpoint in terms of maturity that we could aim at. It's just let's get it done. Is that something you see? That's something that's definitely out there on the market. Again, I personally don't see that as a problem because if today we're lacking behind on technology or we don't have a tool to help us make things more efficient, a short-term vision is fine. As long as we understand that it's a short-term vision and we build something simple and achieve our current pain or remove our current pain point, that's absolutely fine. The challenge or the headache companies see is they want to start with a short-term fix but in their short-term fix is embedded a lot of complicated requirement that's actually for a very mature kind of model or very mature function. And then suddenly, because it doesn't work out that way and there's no long-term vision of where the function is going, suddenly everything breaks apart and the tool becomes too complicated to use. I think that's the key pain point that a lot of um, TPRM users are seeing out there on the market is they haven't distinguished what the short-term fix is compared to the long-term target. There's a really interesting point there. You probably go from a spreadsheet that you were sending, which was very flexible to, and look, tools are flexible, but they're more rigid in terms of like rigor of doing the approach. We go from asking people to do 10 things to 50 things. I've said this loads of times that you're not going to get buy-in from the business. So you have to be realistic in like the jumps forward you're going to take and make sure that the internal stakeholders understand that there is going to be a change. So there are going to be things that are easier, like reporting and all the things that are painful, but there are going to be things that take more work to do. And you can't just go from doing nothing or very little to doing everything in one, unless you've got a huge program and you've thought about this very well up front. And look, we tend to see that that's not what people do. 
like I've seen that. I think this, the, the shift from spreadsheets and emails, which are ultimately flexible, copy paste, you know, those sorts of things, to a system which is you know prescriptive in terms of the process that you're following. I've seen that as a big challenge. And I've also seen that certainly during the implementation design phase, organizations trying to replicate what they can do in spreadsheets, which clearly is not. You are going to commit ultimately to a process that's underpinned by the system, as you said, Matt, gain the benefits from that through the reporting, visibility, efficiency gains, and everything else that goes with it. But it is it's definitely something I've seen as a challenge for for um, people running the programs initially to go from ultimate freedom and flexibility to a system-based approach that, that is perhaps in their mind less flexible. And I think one of the biggest challenge or the biggest pain point I've seen on the industry, especially for customers that's moving from kind of a spreadsheet-based approach to a tool-based approach, is the amount of noises they get on the market when they select a vendor because they don't really know what their target state is. They want a quick win to move on to tool. And then suddenly when they go through the vendor selection, to them, it might look like it's promising, but really it's a marketing scheme where TPRM solution providers just sell them all kinds of fancy features. And they think, wow, okay, that's a jump in our maturity. We can take all those features you have, but the vendors haven't really been responsible to tell them, you know, they haven't had the right background of training or the process to establish all those complicated features. Then they try to go live and then, you know, poor adoption rate, complicated to use. And then suddenly they're stuck in a place where they're not sure how to move forward with TPRM. Just a step backwards, ultimately. So um, looking at vendors then, and again, going back to the sort of practical steps to improve programs, how about the sort of vendor side of things and the relationships with vendors? Yeah, I think one of the big things that we talk about here is building partnerships with vendors. And I think no tools will help this a little bit, but you really, really, really have to have a relationship with your critical vendors and you need to build that partnership with them. Because if not, like, how do you, if you don't see that you're working together and you see them as the enemy, let's say, but not really the enemy, but if you're not working with them in that way, you're not working together on common goals, how do you think things are going to be improved? And again, this comes back to that compliance versus risk. Compliance approach is very much, I've done enough to, if something went wrong, I'm covered. That's great, but does that make you more secure? Probably not. It, yeah, it will to some extent, but like, how are you going to be the most secure is actually having that open channels of communication with the vendor. And tools will help with the assessments and all the other things and monitoring, but you do have to build that relationship where if something happens, they feel like they can get on the phone to you. Because if not, and you're not working with them, and you're not seeing it as a joint effort, how are you ever going to mitigate the risks that you, that you see? You're just going to focus on they're meeting the requirements we expect, but Again, if something happens, you're not being told. And this is something that a lot of the business out there aren't really focusing on in how they set up their TPM program. So a good example is risk is managed through um, assessment that goes out as a questionnaire to the vendor. The vendor answers those questions or not. And if a question comes back that is not good enough for the business, they just go back saying, well, we have this policy in place and we haven't seen enough evidence. Can you attach more evidence? Then from a vendor side, you just think, okay, I want to make sure this procurement happens, or I want to make sure I get renewal in my next year. Why don't I dig out some more information, send it to cover the gap, and hopefully they'll just continue to work with us. But really, the problem here is what is the risk associated to having that information or to not having that information? And if we can explain the risk properly to the vendor, the vendor realize 
they may have a bigger problem that impacts their wider customer base or impacts their operation. And they'll put more effort into resolving the problem rather than just trying to do it as a paper exercise to cover the task itself. Yeah, look, I think if, if you can make your program simple and you are seen as the customer of the vendor that is the easiest to do business with from an assessment perspective, you've got first off a better chance of getting quality of data. So again, keep it simple in terms of what you're asking of them, but be very pragmatic then on the back end in terms of what your expectation is of, of addressing any of the gaps. I think that's the bit that that really needs a lot of focus on from a post-assessment perspective to build that relationship with the vendors. It's something I've seen not many organisations get right. Nobody likes filling out vendor assessments. Nobody. So if you can be the one that actually was the least painful <laughs> and you're seen as pragmatic in your approach to fixing things as a partnership, then you'll get much better results out of it. There is just one last thing I want to say on that. Like when things go wrong, you want to be the one that they talk to about it. Like if you are the pragmatic one and you've worked with them and they feel like, like you'd much rather hear that something's gone wrong from them than the news, right? And, and <laughs> if they feel they can ring you and they've got that relationship with you, that will help because it's seen as a partnership and you're all going to be the first one that actually, look, we need to have that conversation with SureCloud because look, we've worked with them for a long time. We feel like we can have that conversation. We can tell them what we're doing within reason. You'll feel a lot better because there is a personal relationship and partnership there. And look, tools will help with the assessments, but you do need to focus as well on that component. And like I said, I think that is really important. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so in terms of the questions and, and the evidence that you gather through the assessment process, are there any other data sources that you think would make for better decision-making, specifically with, within TPM pro, TPRM programs or, or, in fact, wider than that? I think too many, and many of that may be valid. So we have to think of it from an external and internal approach perspective, right? So if we look at it from an external approach, right, as a business, we probably have vulnerability management business resiliency, we probably have you know, um, vendors that are scanning for us, such as BitSight. All of those provide valuable information, and those are data enrichment that can be integrated into your TPM function, where maybe by getting those external information, you no longer need to exhaust your vendors directly with a bunch of questions that really isn't building any partnership in the process. It's more just, here's my question, do your job, whereas all of those are probably publicly available. And alternatively, you can also pull feeds around, you know, how their financial soundness is, as well as you know, there are different kind of credit rating companies out there. You can also pull information around news feeds, right? So if we know a business, for example, is impacted right now because they operate in Russia and Ukraine, it's probably very evident. So the right thing to do is if we have that information is to ask the appropriate question that concerns us and concerns them as a, as a relationship, rather than being blinded by that detail and go out to all your vendors say, are oh, you, you know, send them a questionnaire of 20, 30 questions asking how involved they are or how impacted they are with the Russian Ukraine situation right now, right? So that's the external element. And then the internal element, which is something that most of the organization I've seen so far have been struggling with is how do you make TPM bigger than just a silo, you know, activity or business process, right? Because the starting point for many is that compliance angle. You know, how do I comply with my PCI requirements or how am I complying with my GDPR requirements? But the bigger picture is what kind of risks are being exposed or with the third party relationship? How do you manage that centrally? Can you manage that centrally? You know, can you monitor those? 
And on top of that is if they're, you know, in the process of a risk assessment by a vendor, if there's anything that's unsatisfactory or requires further monitoring through actions and exceptions, more often than not, I see organizations just managing them as siloed activities. They may track those actions. They may work on those actions. But does it really have a loop back mechanism that allow you to improve the way maybe you tier customers or you ask more efficient questions? And yeah, sorry, I've been rambling on, but there's quite a lot there. I'm pretty sure Matt has others to add as well. That is quite a lot. (laughs) It's not just about about adding them. I mean, it's also thinking like how you act on them. Lots of people get really focused on getting loads of data, but if you don't have the skills to do anything with it, it's more of a hindrance than an improvement. To Yang's point, I think you should be embedding it to your internal GRC processes. That is critical in order a joined up thing. But these external things, people see them as like, a silver bullet is going to fix everything. And look, they're really helpful, but you have to put them in context of your organization and what they do. Like the scanning vendors, financial stability, all those things is in context of what they do for your organization. And without you building as a data aggregator and being able to think about it in a more joined up way, it's almost impossible to go, actually, this data is working together. And I think that is the biggest challenge there. It's bringing together all of that data and actually saying, how does it affect me in a practical way? Yeah, it's to the kind of the fundamental GRC um, headache that we've been learning about is when you see a lot of information, when you see a lot of availability of different technology, you immediately jump to the question of what, what does it do? What can we use it for? But really the underlying question is why we need it, right? We need to understand the why first. So then we make sense of the data rather than giving us more headache and end up with information overload. So, so moving on from the the kind of um, data sources that can enrich the program, what about ongoing monitoring? So clearly, risk is a moving beast in that sense, but it's not a snapshot. So, what about the ongoing side of things? These programs. So, some of the, the data aggregating we spoke about can help that. So, things like site again, partnerships, communication. You, you're having those checkpoints, which are either technology focused or just you're having a conversation, you're talking to your vendors, you're understanding what's going on. You can obviously do more as you're going through and like working with them, building that communication to have that open flows between them. So the big thing here is using them ongoing monitoring and and partnerships to be more targeted in what you ask them and what you need from them. So for me, it's like you're using information you've got, but you're you're checking it on an ongoing basis that that doesn't mean you need to act on everything. So the other thing here is you get a lot of data, you're bringing it back, but it's it's figuring out what needs to be actioned. And in a lot of cases, that needs to be a human at the moment. There are some technology that can help you with it, but you need a very mature process to replace to replace human interactions at the moment. Question sets. I've had some um, interesting interactions with with customers around question sets in the past where I think the most I saw was 600 something like that this is in the early days it's got a lot better i think people are much more realistic in terms of their expectations but what would be your kind of advice around the appropriate i guess approach to formulating your question sets and and making them as optimal as possible so i think we should assume that the vendor or the the the, the customer or whoever the organization has probably got a, a program in place let's say they're maybe not using technology they probably should look at targeting them a bit more. If you're going to ask questions that the answer is always going to be yes to, is there any point in asking asking that question? 
or if they say no to it, you're going to do anything with it. I think that's the first thing is go, okay, what of this do I actually need to know? And that's probably looking at yourself and going, is this actually going to stop me doing business with them? And that's a starting point to cut down your questions. I think the second one is using insight into what they do to auto-select questions. So there's question set is tailored based on the service or products that they are giving to you rather than just giving a blanket set of questions. Because that way, they're much more likely to answer them if you get 50 questions that relate to cloud services than 500 questions. And half of them are not applicable and they're just clicking NA, 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 NA over and over again. I think that's a starting point. In terms of um, the actual vendors themselves then, so if we move on from the question side of things, so not all vendors are equal. How do you go about ranking vendors? What would be a good approach to do that? I think the starting place with that is understand what you're actually engaging the vendor with. Understand the criticality of all your services or products you're dealing with vendor, right? If it's a critical task they're managing, then obviously we need to know more around how they operate and what kind of risk associated. But if they're, for example, vendor that provides us with desk furniture, for example, we should not be going back with a you know, question set of 200 that would treat an ERP you know, vendor and ask those questions because one, they probably don't know how to answer the majority of it. And two is you're not getting any value out of the answers they, they're providing because they're not critical to, to your operations. And secondly, is also think about kind of who we're targeting in terms of how crucial the vendor is to the wider market. So um, a good example is, you know, we always have Microsoft as a vendor on our list, but would Microsoft really need to be that critical, especially if we're only using products like Microsoft Office or Outlook? Because if there's a downtime with that product, it probably impacts most business out there, right? We are no exception to that. So by getting too involved in action plans associated to that, we're not actually creating much more value. Whereas obviously if we rank them by, uh, or if we assess them by other products, like maybe Microsoft CRM Dynamics, now that is probably very um, customized or tailored to your business need. And if that's the case, then obviously they're a higher tier, for example. We kind of talked about um, you know, technology not being the, the, you know, the silver bullet, but clearly it helps a lot. And certainly where you've got a distributed assessment program like this, I think it, you know, it is essential to move away and get real value out of this type of program. Is there any kind of view from a product selection perspective in terms of short-term versus long-term? Yes. So I think we've spoke over and over and over again of the importance of embedding it into a GRC program. So I think, first of all, for me, it's short-term, you've got a list of things it needs to do, probably to meet a compliance requirement or meet an audit finding of some kind. But at the same time, you want to make sure if you have got a longer term strategy to embed this in a risk and compliance framework and you want to align it, that you're either buying a tool that has that capability or you're buying a tool that has the capability to integrate to something like that. That's a prerequisite for me is making sure that you're thinking about, does it fit into your long-term GRC program? And then the other thing is like, you can do the, like I say, the standalone tools or you can buy a GRC or IRM tools. I mean, there's pros and cons to both. So if we start with, I don't know, Yang, you want to cover standalone tools and I'll do GRC tools. Do you want to, do you want to go that way? Yeah, sure. So typically a standalone tool, right, have certain elements that's very appealing to the business. Otherwise, it's a pretty bad standalone tool or a quick win, right? So one is probably is tailored specifically for, for the use case. So in this case for TPRM. 
So, you know, it's out of shell features aligned with, you know, the key requirements you have as a TPM function. And two, it's much easier to implement. And the third reason it's, it's definitely going to be lowering cost, right? So I guess those are the pros, but the cons of it or, or the, um, shortcomings of having a, a standalone tool is, are they scalable? Because the rest of the data in your risk and compliance probably isn't stored there. So are they scalable to solve long-term needs? Because a standalone tool won't have any mechanism or ways for you to build self-improvement processes or mature your function within the tool itself, because that's not what it's for, right? And then I guess the, the biggest lacking of all that is you don't really get the full business inside of what's going on. You only see elements of TPRM. Even if it's associated to an asset, you're not even sending that information to the asset owner. So they don't even know this is happening, right? Everything then becomes another add-on manual exercise. Yeah. And if you talk about GRC tools, obviously it is much, much more scalable from, a, from if we talk with the pros. It can grow with a business and it helps break down those information silos. But one of the things you think about here is you need a more joined up approach and it requires more upfront thinking. So if you talk about real, the cons here, it's you need to have a clear understanding of what you want to do and how they fit together. Again, you probably don't need to think about every minute detail, but what you want to be doing is working with that vendor supplier to make sure you're not making decisions that limit you in the future. So keep it simple, get using it and then evolve it over time. So to to try and mitigate some of those issues, obviously it can be more expensive because you're not just buying one solution. You you may just buy one at one time, but it's going to be a long-term cost, total cost of ownership, but there's obviously more value to the business doing that. It creates a joined up approach of your risk and compliance activities you get joined up reporting, improved decision making, but it does have longer timescales and require a roadmap to deliver that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the other thing that the broader GRC solution gives you the opportunity to do is start simple. So you can get some of the pros from a standalone tool in a GRC tool and get the benefits of the GRC tool in terms of the wider integration and integrative risk management approach moving forwards. I think that's the some of the, um, I guess, challenge that some organisations have is if they go for a GRC tool, yes, it could be more of an investment. And then the tendency then is to think, actually, we're going to get more functionality, therefore it's going to be more complex and we've got a lot more things that we can get from a maturity perspective, as we talked about before. So you're jumping maturity levels really quickly and that isn't the right thing to do. You do still need to start very simple with GRC solutions and still have that maturity program. The benefit being that you've got the foundation to then integrate it across the programs from a wider risk perspective. The selection between a standalone and a GRC tool is you're really buying two different size paper as a canvas for painting. That doesn't mean within three hours you're going to paint both pages complete, right? It just means if you go with the GRC tool within three hours, you can paint what you want to paint, but there's still space to expand that painting. Whereas if you bought the smaller paper, that you run out of space to paint more content. Great analogy there by Yang. I think there's one thing I did want to go back to on when we were talking about ranking suppliers that we didn't cover, and that's talking about the really the level that you do assessments. So one of the things we spoke about is vendors, and I know we've talked about the level, but I know Yang, we spoke to multiple customers about this, that the value of assessing, let's say, IBM versus the services or the contracts, what are you seeing in the market and what, what would you want to do? If you, if you were doing this as a, for an organization? I would treat this as a variable. 
the reason I would treat it as variable because no vendors are the same. We have larger business out there like IBM with smaller business there that just caters for, I guess, office space. What I've seen in the market that's challenging for a lot of business is sometimes they supply it. Sometimes they assess at the supply level and then they're uncertain about how they deal with these bigger clients. So they have one size fits all approach. Alternatively, they might have a one size fits all approach at a service level and then suddenly become a nightmare for then the smaller vendors because they're not sure how much they can answer service level. So I think it needs to be a variable. So when we tier the customer or rank the customer, we need to understand how big the organization is, right? How wide a product suite or service that they offer and then critically assess what is it that we're getting out of them. So from IBM scenario, we should be assessing it at maybe a sub-entity level, but I would even go one level down, which is the service offering or the product they offer, right? Whereas if you look at something that's smaller, like a GRC product, then it's probably at a sub-entity level. And if you do a local you know, office space provider, then that probably should be a supplier level. So you need to have a common sense kind of judgment on at which level of the assessment adds most value for you as a business. It makes your life easier. It makes the supplier's life easier as well when completing the assessment. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Matt and Yang, for your expert advice as well. We've been talking about what practical steps can improve your TPRM program. For more insight on TPRM, you can check out our previous episode on common questions we hear about typical TPRM programs. Connect with us on LinkedIn. I'm Nick Rafferty, Matt Davis and Yang Zheng. And to discuss and keep up with the latest cybersecurity news and views. See you all next time.